You are listening to the Sports CDP Crash Course, your go-to podcast for all things sports related. We talk about how sports clubs and teams can sell more tickets and merchandise than ever before and how they can negotiate sponsorship agreements of higher value. We also champion women's sports and discuss how data and innovation can help bring equality to the sports industry. We have interviewed industry leaders who have worked with the likes of the NFL, FC Barcelona, Women in Football UK, FIBA, the Davis Cup, just to name a few. So don't miss out. Listen to today's episode. Our next guest is a women's sports director at We Are Fearless and the founder of Team Heroin, a platform where they share insight, tools and inspiration to help brands and rights holders unleash the power of women's sports sponsoring and marketing. Rebecca Soden has also worked as a sponsorship manager and commercial marketing director and a marketing manager for FIFA, where she developed and managed marketing initiatives including the production of TV commercials to drive attendance at the 2008 FIFA Under-17 Women's World Cup. Rebecca, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's such a, it's such an honour because um, I feel like we've been trying to get this done for such a long time and it's, it's so great that we're finally able to do it. Yeah, no, it's fantastic to connect and looking forward to it. Absolutely. But before we begin, we like to start off our sessions with an icebreaker. Are you ready for that? Oh, we'll see. <laughs> What's your favourite quote, expression or motto and why is it your favourite? I think I'd have to go with feel the fear and do it anyway. And I guess I just like to live by that motto myself. Um, obviously, produce a lot of content around women's sport and you know, sometimes it's a little bit uncomfortable trying to push a few buttons and um, start a tricky conversation. But I think without that boldness and challenge, we're not going to drive the game forward quick enough. So, yeah, I like to kind of in work and my own personal life kind of live by that. And do you have any memories of like any anything like recent where you actually felt just petrified or just afraid and you're just like, you know what? I'm just doing it. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, well, personally, I was at a Halloween theme park on the weekend. So going on a couple of rides, which definitely put me out of my comfort zone. But, you know, I think knowing I was going to be a little bit uncomfortable, but the rewards at the end of it were worth it. And yeah, I think just in a day to day basis, like I said, I've, you know, with a lot of my content, um, you know, trying to raise the conversation on issues that are complex, um, you know, and knowing you're going to get a little bit of resistance or conflicting comments back, but just still knowing it's best for the game and, and best to help drive things forward. So still doing it. Awesome. You have worked with big brands such as FIFA, Sky and the like. Uh, maybe let's go back to the beginning. What is it uh, about sports or the sports industry that has you captivated? If we start there. Yeah, I mean, I was lucky enough to be involved with sport since the age of five. I started playing football as one of the first girls and the only girl in boys' team. Um, so I, I guess growing up participating in sport, I felt that camaraderie, that connection, um, that brings people from all sorts of backgrounds together. So I think naturally 
kind of been involved from that side. I always had an interest in it. And I think for me, um, yeah, that's just continued into my career. I just love the power of sport to bring people together and connect all sorts of people. Awesome, awesome. And uh, shortly after leaving university, uh, you founded ASCAS Communications, uh, where you produced an information pack, including a manual and a DVD to aid other Kiwi athletes uh, in their pursuit to obtain college sports scholarships in the U.S. Uh, you went on to found other projects and companies as well. And a great example being Team Heroin. What is it that prompts you to found your own projects and companies? Is it that you identify a need that is not being fulfilled or what? what is it? Yeah, absolutely. You've hit the nail on the head there that I guess I'm always drawn to studying companies or ideas that solve problems I face or have, have encountered or experienced a gap in the market. So I went to college on a soccer scholarship in the, the US as a Kiwi. And when I came back, um, you know, all these other Kiwi athletes were like, oh, how do you do it? What, how do you go about it? And myself, I found the, the process very confusing and complex. And I wasn't the only one, obviously, as there were heaps of other people approaching me. So kind of, yeah, saw the gap in that and, and tried to just help solve it. I think with Team Heroin, my latest kind of venture, the reason I was compelled to start that was it was the 2019 Women's World Cup in France. And of course, you know, it kind of took the world by storm. There were a billion people that were watching the tournament. Yet I still couldn't believe how few sponsors were involved in the tournament or, or women's football. And those that were, were just still activated in a way that wasn't fulfilling their potential or kind of copying and pasting the men's game. So, yeah, I just thought there was a real need to advocate for more sponsorship around women's football and women's sport and also help marketers unleash that power around best leveraging their sponsorship and marketing rather than just kind of doing what they would do for the men's game and, and really understanding and identifying those nuances and opportunities around the women's game. Uh, you just mentioned about um, like going to, to the US and on, on a scholarship as well. You're maybe the third person that we've spoken to that's gone to the US <laughs> on a scholarship. Yeah. So I'm like, I don't know. I think that's so that's so interesting that the US is actually maybe so ahead or advanced when it comes to creating opportunities mm -hmm. for women in that area of like scholarships and stuff. Yeah, I think particularly with women's soccer, I think they've always been ahead of the game. So for me, it was always the dream destination because it's right around the 1999 World Cup, you know, the famous Brandy Chastain ripping off her shirt and when they won the World Cup and America was just really the place to be for women's soccer. But saying that, the US just do college sports so well. It's, it's so professional. You're getting to train and play like a professional athlete. Plus, you come out with a degree and have an amazing social experience at the same time. So for me, you know, I think it's a fantastic opportunity for athletes to pursue their athletic dreams, but also get an education and a great experience at the same time. It makes me wonder, though, like what other countries could be doing better in that sense, you know, um, because I'm thinking back to where I'm from in Botswana. We have a lot of opportunities from the government when it comes to academics. So if you do very well, the government will give you like a full ride scholarship to like even Oxford or whatever university, but never really when it comes to sports, because 
where I'm from, sports is viewed as the thing that you do when you can't do anything. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great path. And um, I mean, the US does have the advantage that they can command such big broadcast rights across their college sports from, you know, basketball to football. Uh, so, you know, that funds a lot of the programs. But I think, you know, this dual um, kind of passions with sport and education is a, is a great way to move forward and help people excel in both areas. And, you know, they naturally complement each other with, um, you know, being being productive and healthy through sport, you know, helps obviously with the academics as well. So it's a great model, um, which, yeah, I'd love to see more nations follow. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I just got really interested in that because <laughs> it suddenly hit me that, oh, quite a few people that we've spoken to have mentioned the US in one way or another. Like the US in that sense has that soft power where mm -hmm. like like you're saying with commanding rights, with commanding this interest and being able to produce commercial value from it in a sense mm -hmm. versus other countries. But um you mentioned that um, you were speaking about how you focus on women's sponsorship and, and marketing with Team Heroin. Um, what trends are you seeing within that field that sports organisations should start implementing and leveraging, especially when it comes to, I mean, women's sports organisations? Like, what should they be doing when it comes to sponsorship? Mm -hmm. I think one of the biggest things in terms of sponsorship is brands or sponsors need to see themselves as partners who are there to help the game thrive as opposed to just transactional sponsors. They put in money, they get whatever value out of it. I think because women's sport is still at such a nascent stage, you know, it's kind of in that startup phase, it needs to really be a partnership attitude to collectively grow the game. And I think that's the biggest opportunity for brands too. The ones that we're seeing doing the best are coming in, really adding to that ecosystem and kind of looking like heroines in the process because they're helping the game, but, you know, they're activating certain ways to help it, investing. So it's kind of a win-win scenario. So, yeah, I always encourage brands to think about what, what kind of role in the ecosystem are you going to play to enable it to thrive. I think we're also seeing in terms of commercial trends a movement towards unbundling of sponsorship rights from the, the men's teams or men's side of the organisation. So for the first time ever, FIFA have unbundled their men's world cup rights from the women's world cup rights uh, so zero an accounting cloud software company and visa are the two women's world cup and women's fifa sponsors and what i where i think the opportunity is around unbundling um and it needs to be right for each team and organization of course and you need to look at the individual aspects but what i like about it is i do see men's sport and women's sport as a different product with a different audience and i think if you kind of separate them out, you can really focus on the, the strengths and the attributes of each. But it also opens up opportunities for new entrants in the market. So someone like Zero, they're all about supporting and getting more women and small business to thrive. So they potentially wouldn't have got involved with FIFA if they had to then buy the Men's World Cup as well. That's not kind of their area of focus. Plus, it probably would have been price um, exhibitive. So I think, yeah, it's a great opportunity for a lot of brands. We've seen UEFA have a lot of success with Visa. It's the first kind of UEFA woman's partner, MasterCard, have come on with World Rugby. So, yeah, for me, I think we're going to see more and more of that. And saying that, I'd hate to stop the cross-promotion um, and marketing between you know, the men's and the women's team. I think there's a lot of opportunities for signposting and cross-promotion. 
Um, I think another trend we're seeing is the, the increased complexity around brand alignment with um, sports properties. You know, we've seen it recently in the news with um, when Shell announced their partnership with British Cycling, which caused a lot of backlash in terms of, you know, a sport that's trying to get people out of cars, kind of partnering with an oil company. We saw it just last week, Netball Australia faced fierce criticism for their partnership with Hancock Mining. Um, they kind of withdrew their sponsorship after the backlash and ended up Visit Victoria, kind of tourism board stepped in. But I think particularly with women's sports, it's going to become more and more important that those brand partnerships um, have a strong alignment. And the reason I say that is we know that women's sports fans place more importance on social causes than men's sports fans. So, you know, in terms of fandom and, um, you know, keeping your fans on side, it's, it's going to be really important from that perspective, not to mention athletes, women's sport are a lot more socially active. So I think that's something we're going to have to think a lot more closely about. So yeah, those are three three trends I'm seeing kind of approaching in the immediate future. I know that like most of the time, and um, maybe you might not have a, an answer for this, and that's absolutely fine. But most of the time when we have these conversations, we're obviously having them around like the mainstream industry. We're talking the US, talking Europe, mm -hmm. talking um, Australia as well. But where do you think like markets such as like Asia and um, maybe Africa fit in in this? I know that there's a lot of conversation around bringing more capital to, to Africa. For example, we spoke to Lindy Nguyenya, who's the managing director of CSU Sports Management, and she's working really hard in that specific market because the human capital when it comes to athletes of today and our athletes of the future is coming from Africa in that sense. What areas do you know if there are any opportunities there? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's definitely challenging. And I'm seeing the same things that, you know, yes, with the growth we've seen in one sport, there's more commercial investment and sponsorship money flowing into the game. However, I see it flowing into certain parts of the game. So I'm seeing it like you say, flowing into the likes of UK, the US, Australia, and also certain codes or or the top teams. So seeing a lot of money maybe going into the top women's super league football teams, but it's not filtering down to more grassroots or other, you know, maybe more developing nations. Um, so definitely see it as a problem, particularly working in Hong Kong for seven years. Yeah, women's sport is still just not put on the same pedestal like it is men's sport. So they've got a lot of work to do. And of course, because sponsors primarily evaluate kind of their, their deals on eyeballs, unfortunately, and I don't think it's the right way with women's sport, they're still looking at, you know, maybe they're not getting the viewership, so they're not prepared to put in the, the money it deserves or, or could get. So I think, you know, it's key for the governing bodies to continue to work with those to pull those other regions up. I know the likes, you know, FIFA have big priorities with trying to grow the game in Asia and Africa and making sure those nations do keep a pace with the other ones. Um, you know, and I think there's ways to do that. For example, you know, the introduction of kind of second-tier tournaments. So maybe even if they're not going to the World Cup, you know, there's other nations leagues or, um, you know, regional leagues that they can get that experience, uh, you know, and, and new opportunities even for sponsors to to get involved in that way. But it's definitely challenging. And, yeah, I think it's even more fragmented than men's sport. You know, a lot of 
um, you know, even say English Premier League teams have a lot of sponsors from Asia because, you know, there's a lot of people down there who love the teams and there's huge money, you know, in a lot of those countries, but we just haven't seen that kind of filter over to the women's side. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, such a brilliant answer as well, because um, there are just so many factors at play, right? From the sponsor's perspective, it's about the mm -hmm. commercial value. But like I said, from my experience, for example, just from the grassroots from school, mm -hmm. sports is not something that's entirely encouraged. It's encouraged if if all else has failed type of thing. Mm. So there are loads of attitudes. And I know um, we sat down with a lady called Norina Shams and she's a professional squash player in Pakistan. And she was just talking about literally fighting to be given a chance to, to play in that sense, you know. Mm. Um, so Lean, who's from um, the Middle East, she's from Jordan, talking about how they're really having to work hard to just get the conversation going about it's okay for women to play yeah. sports in that sense. So in that sense, there's like just so much, so much work to be yeah. done. The and that's the thing I think, um, you know, unfortunately, there's the historic and systematic barriers and perceptions that have held women's sport and women in sport back. And, you know, I think different markets and countries are at different part of that kind of social spectrum. So like you say, you know, some sports, you know, it's still not that accepted for women to play or in certain markets. So I think, yeah, trying to break down those barriers before even kind of getting to those other conversations and, and issues like sponsorship. It's, yeah, it's unfortunately um, trying to jump over every hurdle and everything is a piece of that puzzle. Yeah, and it's very, um, it's very interesting. And you've touched upon some of the challenges that women's sports face when it comes to sponsorship and marketing. But what frustrations would you say you've experienced when it comes to women's sports and or the sports industry as a whole? if we look at it like at a global scale and just uh, at women's sports in general? Yeah, I think a couple of frustrations. I, I still think despite all the progress, we need to be bolder. I think, you know, yes, we've made progress, but there's still so much to do and we so much room and gap to still make up. So I always encourage brands and rights holders you know, to think bigger and bolder in their sponsor activations, um, not be afraid kind of test and learn you know we're not men's sport and we need to try doing things differently to see what will accelerate the game most um and again I think I touched on it earlier but one of the frustrations is still just comparing likes of women's sports sponsorship to men's you know using the same metrics it's a different proposition um it's not kind of the main benefit isn't the awareness part of the marketing funnel but that consideration you know, we, we know it has strong brand values that brands like to align with. We know it's a powerful storytelling platform. You know, the, the audience is of greater quality and they give the benefit to sponsors who support women's sport, you know, with two times purchase intent. So there's different proposition, different opportunities, yet we're still in a place where we're kind of evaluating it in the same way we would men's. So that's one of kind of my ongoing frustrations. And one of the things that I, that I really like um, about you, Rebecca, is that when I go onto your LinkedIn, I, I can always kind of keep up with the conversation in the sports industry by just going <laughs> to your profile because, yeah, you're so, <laughs> because you're so vocal about about everything, right? You're 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 not just focusing on the on the sponsorship side of things, but you also focus on like 
issues relating to poor governance, for example, I remember mm -hmm. the whole scandal in uh, the United States about involving the the women's soccer. And mm -hmm. uh, like uh, you were quite vocal, and you were one of the people that were vocal when um, the scheduling uh, mm -hmm. development yeah. <laughs> the ferns and the all blacks. Like you were quite vocal vocal about that. Yeah, I think we need to be. Like I said. Um, you know, I do worry I'm not going to get any future jobs um, with certain organisations, but I think it's all with positive intent and trying to be constructive um, by shedding a light on some of the issues and, and hoping people can avoid making the same mistakes moving forward. So I think, you know, we as an industry have to kind of use our voice. Um, you know, sadly, women's sport is still often an afterthought or, or seen as secondary, so we need to all collectively help raise awareness around certain issues and you know a lot of a lot of these issues can be easily resolved without you know too much resource or money it's just little little things like you know keeping women's sport at the forefront so you're not scheduling um kind of having scheduling conflicts or you know just little changes to the way we market it can actually go a long way so yeah it's just trying to do do your bit to really accelerate the game forward and, and keep trying to drive change um like I said, it's easy to kind of get into this, what I call progress washing, like we've come a long way, but still got a long way to go. And we, we all need to kind of keep pushing harder and faster and further. Absolutely. Which brings me to the question of like, what, what do you think needs to be done to make sure that women are protected? Because I think that's just such a fundamental thing, right? If you're going to encourage people to be women, to play sports, to take part, mm be active and to push when it comes to commercial success when we're talking about sponsorship you also kind of need to also make sure that it's actually a safe environment for them to to, to be in you know and loads of the scandals are coming from America but it's not necessarily to say that it only happens in America maybe mm -hmm. they just have a better way of catching these things and communicating them mm -hmm. being really transparent about them but what do you think, like maybe leagues and federations, for example, the clubs, what what, what needs to be done in order for women to be protected in, in the first place? Yeah, it's a big question. And I'm certainly no expert in kind of player protection and well-being. But where I see it, it needs to be a whole cultural change. So I think, um, you know, a lot of these things are happening in environments that have historically been kind of male-dominated or, or males hold most of the power. So I think, of course, you know, it's important to get more females in the, across the board in the industry. So not just playing, but as coaches, as administrators, as doctors, as CEOs. So one, we can kind of get rid of this culture where it's male-led or, or male-focused or women are seen as secondary. Uh, so I think that's one thing. And, yeah, I think it's just having processes and systems in place um, that are kind of player-centric you know, easy reporting lines, um, being that transparent. You know, I think what we saw out of Spain with all the the players kind of being stood down because they spoke out about coach, I think, you know, if there had have been processes and clear reporting lines around that, it wouldn't have hit the media and, you know, they could have worked through those and resolved them internally rather than this kind of um, public outburst and dramatic consequences um, of these players essentially being fired. And I think, yeah, if everyone is clear about those processes, at least it kind of helps initiate the process and make sure 
kind of there's some guardrails in place, but yeah, it's, it's definitely complex and um, I think there's a lot of work to be done in that area. Indeed, there is. But looking into the future then, what, what excites you the most about the future of women's sports? Oh, it's a big question. Well, I think just the extreme growth we're seeing. I think we definitely are at a moment, um, particularly in the likes of UK and Europe. Um, we're seeing it in New Zealand right now with the Rugby World Cup. I, feel, I do feel this year has been a real turning point in terms of these cultural moments like the Euros, like Rugby World Cup, uh, like UEFA Champions League, which are pulling new fans in. But even if they're not, you know, making hardcore soccer or rugby fans out of them, they're exposing women's sport to a wider audience um, and getting it in everyday culture and everyday people's lives. And people are going, oh, this is better than I thought. And, um, oh, I didn't realise this. And, you know, having a new level of respect and appreciation for the game. And, of course, that has all the flow on effects, you know, like more viewership, which leads to more sponsorship, more fans. So, yeah, I think just right now we're at a really exciting time, but we can't let up and we've got to capitalise on that and keep the momentum going. Um, and that, you know, means continuing to push for peak spots, you know, continuing to call out scheduling clashes um, and little improvements to ensure we are giving women's sport the best opportunity to continue to thrive. 100%. And what impact would you like to, to make, Rebecca, within the sports industry in general or within women's sports specifically? Sure. I mean, I think my area of expertise and my passion um, is definitely helping brands understand and realize the opportunity so you know we can pull more money in into the women's game I think investment goes a long way in helping build the whole ecosystem um, and yeah working with marketers and sponsors to really get the most out of that because we want them to succeed so they keep investing in women's sport but they can actually contribute a lot to the wider game you know helping elevate the players raise their profiles um, you know get games. We saw LA, a sponsor of the National Women's Soccer League, um, just last month, they used their media spending clout with CBS in the US to get the final game moved from an afternoon slot to a peak nighttime slot. And what do you know, it resulted in over 900,000 viewers watching a record viewership for the league and uh, up 71% year on year. So yeah, I'm, I'm just really excited. I think the power and role that sponsors and marketers can play is is substantial absolutely what exciting things are you working on right now that our listeners should check out oh good question um couple of i i was part of the the team that helped zero with their sponsorship around women's football so they were new to the category hadn't done sponsorship before so really excited to see them come on board as a Women's World Cup sponsor, and also more importantly, a sponsor of Lewis FC, who a little club in the second division women's championship in the UK. They are the only team in the world to have gender equality and pay their women's and men's teams the same, but also invest with the same resource. So that was um, particularly rewarding and um, being involved in that. And of course, hopefully you've seen they've also become a sponsor of the Lionesses. So yeah, I'm hoping they'll kind of um, progress on and really looking forward to see them leveraging the World Cup in six months. Um, helping a couple of other big clients around the women's football strategy, which is fantastic. And yeah, for me, a lot of focus just still on trying to produce some useful content to help 
both rights holders, athletes and brands, you know, maximise the opportunity and understand it. So, yeah, big, big focus. Um, I'm currently producing my top 10 women sports campaigns of the year, which um, is probably my most popular blog of the year and gets a lot of hits across the whole year. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a hard decision this year. Previously, it's been quite easy to find, you know, 10, 10 campaigns that have done great stuff, but there's been so many this year. It's it's getting a bit, little bit harder to judge, which is a great problem to have. And to any women in sports that are listening to you right now and just being blown away like I am, and to many, uh, to any men out there who want to be allies of women in sports, what advice would you give them? Yeah, this is an interesting one. I think the best thing male allies can do is, you know, we often call out male allies or they call themselves out, and I think. For me, the true idea of a male ally is doing something that makes you feel uncomfortable. Um, we saw Lewis Hamilton do it with the W Series when it came out that the W Series fortunately had to cancel their last three races due to financial struggles. You know, he came out kind of a little bit bashing his own employer with the F1 saying, you know, yeah, they should be doing more and they haven't done enough for one in motorsport. So, of course, for him, that's a tricky situation to be in kind of you know, potential career prospects for him and getting offside with a lot of his stakeholders. But I think that's the true definition of an ally, you know, you know, feeling uncomfortable. It's easy to support women's sport and, and you know, say you're an ally, but really kind of sticking up when even on LinkedIn, someone makes a comment, um, you know, coming in and shutting that down. Or like we saw with um, Andy Murray in tennis, you know, he's often shutting down reporters saying, I'm not the first tennis player to make a grand slam I'm the first male tennis player you know the Williams sisters have done that four times so you know might be a bit uncomfortable and awkward but those are the true definition of male allies to me. Mm. Fantastic fantastic and we're going to put your um, a link to your LinkedIn in the description box so that if people want to connect with you after the listening to this they can do so um, and also we'll put a link to Team Heroin so that people can uh, go see check it out straight away but Rebecca, what a pleasure it's been just chatting with you and just getting these deep insights into sponsoring and everything that's going on around that area within the sports industry. So thank you so very much for coming onto the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. If your goal is to get more supporters, superior sales and real revenue, then visit our website at datatalks.sc and fill out our demo form to experience firsthand how we can help you. Data Talks, more supporters, superior sales, real revenue.